Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. Well, hello there again. It is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 84, and today we are talking about corticosteroids. But before we dive into that, I want to take a moment for a listener shout out. And I love it when you guys have fun screen names. It makes me wonder, like, what's the story behind that one? And this one is no exception. It is from Megatron86, who wrote this on Apple Podcast Reviews. It says, I currently work as a PCT at a level one hospital in the ER. I start nursing school next year, and I feel so ready to tackle it. I love Nurse Mo, all the products, and especially this podcast. The information is thoroughly explained in a way that makes everything easy to understand. I love how she explains everything and provides awesome mnemonics to help remember the details. Nurse Mo puts so much time and care into all she does. Check out her planner, too. Thank you, Nurse Mo. Well, I just want to say thank you right back to you, Megatron, and I can't wait to hear how your transition from PCT to RN goes. So please write me an email at hello at straightanursingstudent.com and give me an update. I can't wait. Okay, so let's dive into today's topic looking at pharmacology, specifically corticosteroids. So a few weeks back, you guys learned about Cushing's and Addison's disease. And you probably remember that corticosteroids played a starring role in both of those conditions. So today, we'll be diving a bit deeper into the pharmacology of this very common class of medication. You will see corticosteroids used for a lot of different disorders. You'll learn that they have some pretty unique side effects and a very strict dosing schedule. Plus, I guarantee you that corticosteroids will show up on your exams for sure, if not also in your clinical rotations. So let's get to it. Let's start by asking, what is a corticosteroid? So before we get too far down that rabbit hole of corticosteroids, let's talk about what they actually are. So in the body, corticosteroids are sometimes referred to as the adrenocortical hormones because of where they are secreted. And I'll give you a big hint. It's the adrenal glands. So these hormones can be categorized into three subtypes. There's glucocorticoids, androgens, and mineralocorticoids. 
So let's break each one of those down. Glucocorticoids, the primary one is cortisol. There's about 30, but the primary one is cortisol. And recall that cortisol is released in response to stress and plays a key role in cellular metabolism. If you remember nothing else about cortisol, if you remember stress, you'll be doing great. And then androgens, the primary one of these is testosterone. And then the mineralocorticoids, the primary one is aldosterone. And if you remember, aldosterone plays a very important function in sodium and water retention and potassium balance. So again, we have the corticosteroids, often sometimes referred to as the adrenocortical hormones because of where they're secreted at the adrenal glands. And there are three subtypes, glucocorticoids, primary is cortisol, androgens, primary is testosterone, and mineralocorticoids, primary is aldosterone. So what are these exogenous or synthetic corticosteroids used for? So you may hear people use the term exogenous versus endogenous. So when we say something is exogenous, it means we're supplying it, we're adding it to the body. If it's already in the body, it's endogenous. In this case, we have exogenous corticosteroids being given pharmacologically to patients for a whole bunch of different reasons. So a patient could be getting corticosteroid therapy because they have adrenal insufficiency. Remember a couple weeks back, a few weeks back, we talked about our patient with Addison's disease. That patient is going to get chronic corticosteroid therapy. Some other reasons would be because the chronic use of glucocorticoids like prednisone will cause disruptions in that hormone feedback loop. And that's the feedback loop involving the pituitary gland and the secretion of ACTH. Now, I want you to think about this because feedback loops are always challenging for people. So I find that it's helpful to like just slow down and really think it through. So recall that ACTH is the precursor hormone to cortisol secretion. So in normal conditions, when cortisol levels are low, the pituitary gets a signal to secrete ACTH. And that ACTH tells the adrenal glands to release more cortisol. So instead of the pituitary receiving a signal that it needs more glucocorticoids, it gets a signal that the body has plenty because the patient's been taking this prednisone. And this means that ACTH isn't released and the adrenal glands don't get their signal to release cortisol. So over time, the adrenal cortex shrinks because it's not working out, it's not doing its job, and it isn't able to secrete cortisol effectively anymore. So we'll talk about this more when we discuss dosing and tapering, but the result is that the patient essentially can become dependent on exogenous or supplied synthetic glucocorticoids because the adrenal cortex is incapable of supplying the body with the cortisol it needs. And we call this acquired adrenal insufficiency. So again, feedback loops are tricky. So we're going to go back through that one more time quickly. So in a normal person, when cortisol levels are low, 
the pituitary gets a signal to release ACTH. ACTH tells the adrenal glands to release cortisol. But in a patient taking plenty of glucocorticoid in their prednisone, for instance, the pituitary, tan, the pituitary gland is not going to get that signal. So it's not going to secrete ACTH. So the adrenal glands are not going to get the message that they need to release cortisol. And over time, the adrenal cortex will shrink, atrophy, whatever you want to call it. Basically, it will become inefficient at secreting cortisol. And then we have a patient with acquired adrenal insufficiency. Okay, so that's one reason a patient may need corticosteroid therapy. They've been on prednisone forever. Now their adrenal cortex isn't working. And guess what? Now they need it for life. Another reason is that Addison's disease that I mentioned before. That would be uh, primary adrenal insufficiency. And then we have autoimmune disorders like lupus, vasculitis, rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, Basically, corticosteroids suppress the immune system so the body doesn't attack itself with such gusto in that autoimmune disease. And usually these flare-ups can be tamped down with the use of corticosteroids. You might see them used to treat arthritis to reduce that inflammation and pain could be used in asthma. Some patients with severe allergies may take it. Um, patients that have a rash from poison oak or ivy. My husband is highly allergic to poison. What do we have out here in California? Poison oak. And he barely touched it. And he ended up with a giant, awful, disgusting, oozing rash all over his forearm to the point where he had to Ugh, it was so gross, you guys. Wrap it in gauze, and then it would like seep through the gauze. It was just nasty. So he ended up going on prednisone for a little bit to take to just pull back on some of that reaction to the poison oak that he had. Another reason would be after transplant surgery to reduce the incidence of organ rejection. Cerebral edema may be treated with corticosteroids, also spinal cord injuries. And in the cases of preterm birth, it's given to mom to prevent respiratory problems in the preterm infant. So lots of different reasons that a patient may be getting corticosteroids. Again, it's often because of the adrenal insufficiency, like with Addison's disease, or they've acquired adrenal insufficiency because they've been on glucocorticoids or some other corticosteroid for a really long time. Autoimmune disease, allergies, asthma, transplant surgery, things like that. So now let's talk about the different forms that corticosteroids come in. So they're very versatile drugs, so you're going to see it in all kinds of formulations. Short-acting, long-acting, could be a tablet. I've given it IV. It can be given as injections. There's also topical formulations um, used for dermatologic conditions. You may also give patients corticosteroids via inhalation treatments for respiratory disorders, and there are even nasal sprays available 
as well. So lots of different formulations, not just tablets, not just IV, but lots of different ways that a patient could be taking a corticosteroid. So some of the most common ones and their uses, we'll go through a quick list here. This is generally what you'll see and generally what would be on your exams. But note that there are a whole bunch of different specific corticosteroids. So the first and the most common would be prednisone. This is often used to treat autoimmune disorders, again, like that lupus, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis. Patients will take this in a uh, tablet form. And then another one is methylprednisolone. So this is used for systemic inflammation, again, multiple sclerosis, autoimmune disease, ARDS, which is the acute respiratory distress syndrome. Often in the ICU, we give an IV to the critically ill patients, can also be given IM as well. And long-term use is most likely going to be taken PO by the patient. Dexamethasone is used to reduce cerebral edema. And you might see it used after a stroke or a brain injury to decrease edema in the brain. In that critical care environment, it could be used to reduce airway edema prior to the patient being extubated. And you may also see it used to prevent nausea with chemotherapy. It's also available PO, it's available IM, and it's available IV. Betamethasone is given IM to moms who are in preterm labor. So this is that one that will help prevent respiratory trouble in babies, preterm babies. And it could also be used for adrenal insufficiency in PO form. And then budesonide is used a lot for Crohn's disease in PO form. It can also be used as a nasal spray for patients who have allergic rhinitis and in inhalation form in treating asthma. So that one comes in a lot of different formulations. Hydrocortisone cream is used for uh, skin inflammation, dermatologic inflammation, and itching. And then fluticasone is used as maintenance therapy in asthma, not the rescue inhaler, but that maintenance daily inhaler. And it can also be used as a nasal spray for non-allergic rhinitis as well. I would say of these, the most common are going to be the prednisone and the methylprednisolone. Those are the ones that I see the most. Also the dexamethasone, uh, brand name Decadron. I mentioned it's used to treat nausea and chemotherapy. It's also given a lot in surgery right before the patient is reversed out of their anesthesia to prevent nausea after anesthesia as well. So again, as you can see, lots of different types of corticosteroids as well as lots of different uses. So let's look at the side effects just in a more general sense, because we could be here all day looking at each and every specific medication, and they do have a pretty general side effect profile. So when we're looking at systemic corticosteroids, these are going to be the ones that have the larger, more pronounced side effect profile. So when we say a systemic corticosteroid, that would be a pill that you take versus a cream that you're putting on your skin, most likely. So the main thing that you need to know about systemic corticosteroids is they suppress the immune system. So your patient will be at higher risk for infection. 
Also, with long-term use, there can be this redistribution of body fat that leads to the patient having what's called a moon face and a buffalo hump. So that moon face is just rounded facial features, and the buffalo hump is a pad of fat at the very um, at the below the base of the neck at the very top of the, uh, of the back there. It's called a buffalo hump. Um, it can also cause the patient to have mood swings, have increased hunger, retain fluid, be hypertensive. They may have delayed wound healing with their skin. Their skin integrity could be impaired. Osteoporosis is a common side effect, as is hyperglycemia. There's also an increased risk for peptic ulcers, which can bleed uncontrollably and be fatal, and also increased risk for thromboembolism, which can occlude a pulmonary artery and be fatal as well. So when we're looking at the side effects of corticosteroids, for the most part, the things that are going to be on your exams are the impaired skin integrity, the hyperglycemia, the increased risk for infection, the moon face, the buffalo hump, that fat redistribution. Those would be probably the main things that would be on an exam. And now let's talk about tapering off. This is another thing that will be on your test. So remember that negative feedback loop we talked about earlier, where the pituitary is going to react to low levels of cortisol by sending out ACTH to tell the adrenal glands to amp up their production and release that cortisol. Well, let's say you've got a patient who's been on prednisone for a while, and his adrenal glands have completely gone on an adrenal vacation, okay? They have not worked in a while. And you and I both know how hard it is to get back into the swing of things at work when you just get back from a vacation, right? Well, that's what's going on with this patient's adrenal glands. So when someone is being taken off corticosteroid therapy, we don't just abruptly stop it. That would be like you flying home from Hawaii and getting in at 2 a.m. and then getting up at 5 a.m. to work a 12-hour shift in the ER. Okay, that would not work out well at all, right? So that's why you're going to ease back into things after a big trip. Maybe you spend that first day unpacking, doing some laundry, going to get the mail, Maybe you go back the day after that. But in other words, you ramp things up slowly. So after the adrenal glands have been on their little vacation for a while, they need some time to ease back into it in order to meet the body's needs. So that's why we taper patients off glucocorticoids like prednisone. It's going to give the adrenal glands time to get back into gear. Otherwise, that abrupt discontinuation could leave the patient with zero ability to meet their cortisol needs, and that would send them right into an Addisonian crisis, an adrenal crisis. So again, this whole concept of tapering off corticosteroids will be on your exams. It always, always is. And what this looks like in real life it varies. Um, the patient may reduce their 
dosing. Maybe they were taking it three times a day, then they'll take it twice a day, then they'll take it once a day, then they'll take it for three days off a day, take it for two days off a day. I mean, it just depends on how the MD does it. So just know that it tapers slowly off. Okay, so now let's look at a scenario and we'll put this into practice. So we have our patient, Bob. Bob is 56 years young. He's being treated for a flare-up of his rheumatoid arthritis with prednisone. He started it about 12 weeks ago and is now presenting to the wound care clinic because he's got a wound on his leg that simply will not heal. He's gained 10 pounds since beginning his prednisone therapy. He doesn't have edema. He's just gained 10 pounds. Vital signs are heart rate 81, respiratory rate 17, blood pressure is 166 over 82, oxygen saturation is 97% on room air. His joint pain from his rheumatoid arthritis is rated as a 2 on a 0 to 10 scale. As you're assessing his wound and comparing it to the assessment and measurements you took a couple weeks ago, he says, These darn pills make me so edgy. I eat nonstop and I hate how round my face is. I'm going to stop taking them today. You note that the wound has not improved in the past two weeks, though thankfully it does not look infected at this time. So based on a scenario like this, you could write some key care plan components, including some nursing diagnoses like risk for infection, secondary to immunosuppression, and the presence of a wound. You could say he has impaired tissue integrity as evidenced by a wound at his left medial malleolus. You could definitely say he has a knowledge deficit related to drug dosing schedule as evidenced by patient's statement that I am going to stop taking these right now. You could also say disturbed body image as evidenced by his statement that he hates how round his face is. Another one could be imbalanced nutrition, more than body requirements as evidenced by weight gain of 10 pounds. And another could be a risk for excess fluid volume related to sodium retention secondary to prednisone therapy. There's probably a lot more, but those are some key ones that you could derive from the scenario that we just talked through. Now, of course, nursing is all about fixing problems. I've said that to you guys about a hundred times. Nurses see problems and fix them. And nurses anticipate problems and try to avoid them. So you're going to need some interventions aimed at the nursing diagnoses that we just talked about. So for a patient who's at risk for infection, you would give him information about keeping his wound clean, avoiding people who are sick. You wouldn't want him going swimming with that open wound on his leg, um, teaching him the signs of infection, such as a fever, a cough, purulent sputum, purulent wound, wound drainage, things like that. For a patient with impaired tissue integrity, some of the interventions, again, 
education. You want to teach the patient about wound care. You want to teach him to inspect his skin daily for wounds and ensure that he understands when to return to the wound clinic. If he was a patient of yours that was a critically ill patient or an immobile patient, one of the interventions for impaired tissue integrity is frequent repositioning and keeping bony prominences from developing pressure ulcers and things like that. For the knowledge deficit, because he clearly does not understand how the dosing tapering is going to go, you're going to provide him some education on how it's tapered and the extreme importance of following MD instructions and not stopping that medication abruptly. For a patient with disturbed body image like poor Bob has... You can encourage the patient to share their feelings. You can reassure him that that moon face will subside as the prednisone therapy is completed. And you can also validate their feelings. You don't want to brush people's feelings aside. You want them to feel validated and heard. For a nursing diagnosis of imbalanced nutrition, in this case, it's more than body requirements, you can reassure Bob that some initial weight gain is expected, even though it's an unfortunate side effect of the prednisone, it is expected. You would want to teach him to weigh daily, provide him with weight gain parameters. You know, maybe it's if you gain five more pounds, we need to, you know, get a little bit more serious, or you also want to let him know that... There are certain dietary guidelines that he can follow and make more healthful choices. Maybe he's eating nonstop at Taco Bell. We don't know until we ask. And then the other nursing diagnosis we talked about was risk for excess fluid volume. You want to, again, teach him to weigh daily, and this would be to assess for extreme fluid retention. And he would report weight gain of two pounds or more in one day. He would also want to monitor his blood pressure at home. You would want to listen to his lug sounds, and you would want to assess for the presence of edema. And then, of course, you've got your diagnoses. You've got your interventions. Now you want to talk about what your expected outcomes are. So for something like that risk for infection, maybe your expected outcome is simply Prior to leaving the clinic today, Bob will be able to state three signs of wound infection. Or at the next wound clinic appointment, the wound will be free of signs of infection and the patient will have normal vital signs. So you just want to be able to state what your expected outcome is. So let's just go back through the key highlights before we close out today. Your main takeaways for corticosteroids are... Patient will have a risk for infection. This is huge. You always want to be aware of this for any patient who is taking corticosteroids. The patient will also have a risk for impaired skin integrity and probably delayed wound healing. If these patients get a wound, it's going to be difficult to treat. There's also a risk for hyperglycemia. If the patient is diabetic, they can anticipate needing more insulin while they're on corticosteroid therapy. That hyperglycemia will also contribute to impaired skin integrity. So your diabetic patient who's on corticosteroids could have some very persistent wounds. 
There was also that risk for what's called that Cushingoid appearance, that moon face, that buffalo hump, that fat redistribution. Sometimes the patient will have very skinny arms and legs, but bigger through the trunk with the moon face and the buffalo hump. And then the other key highlight is when discontinuing the medication, it must be tapered off. Otherwise, it puts the patient at risk for acute adrenal insufficiency. So I hope that helps you understand corticosteroids. If you have any questions, any comments, please shoot me an email at hello at straightanursingstudent.com. And if you would be so kind as to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode, and if you rate and review, you might be the next person I feature on our listener shout outs. So quick announcement for you guys. Last week I mentioned that we are coming out with an app that is slated to be in March. Cross fingers that I get all of my work done on it on time. You know how it is with school. I am still in graduate school for those of you that did not know that yet. And I tend to overcommit myself, but I really am dedicated and committed to getting this app out there for you guys. It is going to be the most epic nursing student app ever because it is about 4,000 flashcards all categorized by cardiovascular, respiratory, pharmacology, et cetera, et cetera, 4,000 cards. And it's absolutely just incredible. So those of you that have enjoyed doing the pod quizzes, which I haven't done one in a while, but I was going to start adding a few pod quiz questions to the ends of some of the podcasts in anticipation and celebration of the app that will be coming out very soon. So before we dive into a few pod quiz questions, if you're keen on getting notified when the app is launched, I will put a link and you can also go to the straightanursingstudent.com website and sign up for a notification there as well. I'd be just thrilled to shout it from the rooftops when we finally get this thing launched. I am that excited about it. So we're going to do a couple pod quiz questions. We'll do about eh, five to 10. And if you've not done any of these before, it's basically flashcards for your ears. I'm going to ask a question. I'll pause to give you time to answer it for yourself, and then I will tell you the answer. So basically, it's like doing flashcards, except you're listening instead of looking at them. So are you ready? And it'll be about the topic we just discussed. So that's good. We'll see if you are paying attention. Okay, so the first question is, what is the primary glucocorticoid? The primary glucocorticoid is cortisol. Very good. What is cortisol released in response to? Stress. Very good. So you see how this works? I ask a question, I pause a little bit, and then you answer. Let's ask a question now about mineralocorticoids. What is the primary one of those? The primary mineralocorticoid is aldosterone. And what's aldosterone's role? Aldosterone plays a key role in sodium and water retention and potassium balance. Okay, very, very good. Let's do a few 
on that feedback loop because I know you guys love feedback loops. So when cortisol levels are low, the pituitary gets a signal to secrete what? The pituitary gets a signal to secrete ACTH. What does ACTH do? ACTH tells the adrenal glands to release cortisol. Very good. So if a patient is taking prednisone chronically for a long time, what is that going to do to the pituitary gland secretion of ACTH? It's going to decrease it because the pituitary releases ACTH in response to low cortisol levels, but the patient's taking prednisone, so the levels are not going to be low. They're going to be artificially raised. Okay, very good. What is the corticosteroid used to reduce cerebral edema? That was dexamethasone. Very good. Which one was used maybe to treat acute respiratory distress syndrome? That was methylprednisolone. And which one is given to moms who are in preterm labor? Beta-methasone. Very good. You guys are doing amazing. If your patient states that they're going to stop taking their chronic prednisone today, what will you tell them? You're going to tell them not to do that. You're going to tell him that the MD will prescribe a dosing taper so that he can safely come off the corticosteroids. And what can happen to a patient who abruptly stops taking corticosteroids? They can go into acute adrenal insufficiency. Okay, you guys did amazing. Those are the highlights for corticosteroids. I hope that you found it really helpful. And let me know if you like having some pod quiz questions tacked on to the end. Um, if you're, that's not your thing, you can always just bail out before we get to this part. But if you like it, let me know. Again, if you subscribe, rate, and review, that helps us show up on um, searches when other students are trying to find help with nursing school. So thanks for spending your very precious free time with me today. And next week, we will be talking about, let's see what's on the schedule for next week. Ooh, this is a good one for the new nursing students. It's five attitude adjustments to make for a nursing school. So I will see you back here next week and we'll talk about transitioning from pre-nursing to nursing student with total success. See you then. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.